saying it. The my best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend oh, yeah. heard from this guy who knows this kid who's going with a girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. 31 Flavors. Whew. I guess it's pretty serious. <laughs> Do you know who that was? No. Buffy. No wonder I was like, she's so beautiful. Christy Swanson. Yeah. I guess it's pretty serious. Um, hello. Hi, Erin. We're back. After a um a planned but poorly communicated hiatus. Yes. Sorry, we didn't tell anyone. We And by anyone I mean the three people that listen to this podcast. Mike Couch. Chloe. Chloe. Molly. My, my aunt Eileen. Who thinks our sound mixing is really bad. Sorry. Sorry, Eileen. Sorry. Um, we're back. We have a full schedule coming at you that yes. we are going to do our best to stick to, but life gets in the way. Travel and Blythe ran a half marathon. And guys, we have real jobs. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you might miss it. I've missed my nerdy co-host here. Um, that was a quote from one of the movies we'll be covering today. Yeah, so we we thought, I don't know how we decided on this, but we we knew we would need to do Ferris Bueller at some point, or we would have the privilege of doing Ferris yes. Bueller at some point. Probably top five teen movies. Yeah. It might be my number one. Uh, it's not my number one, but it's definitely up there. I think the, I think because it's so famous. And great. Um, my boyfriend, who has seen, like, ten movies in his life. So, that's not true. That gives him a raw deal. Um, my boyfriend, who has seen probably 5% of the movies that we have on our master list, said that he's seen Ferris Bueller's six times now. And, like, confidently, he was like, I think I've seen this movie about six times. That's incredible. I wonder I know. what... I guess it is on Cable. TV a lot. Yeah. 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 And it's such a good homesick movie. It's perfect. Matt's never sick because he's gifted with something. But um, it was really hard to figure out what to pair with Ferris Bueller because yes. it could have gone into our one great day category. He's a very singular character. There aren't a lot of characters like him. When you put him with, like, devious people, it doesn't land. This is also a John Hughes film. Um, but it didn't pair. We didn't want to do a John Hughes only podcast. No, that just seemed because it because it, it's you know John Hughes, and we'll get into this on probably some of his other films created, um, like such a a model for yes. teen movies. So yeah, he has so many archetypes that, and so following those through the decades is is more exciting. But we finally arrived at some movies that we felt. Had a spiritual connection with Ferris Bueller, totally. or or um, were roles in which the actors could present themselves with the same sort of energy that Ferris does, and so that energy is is charming chaos. Yes, which was Aaron's clever title. Yes, but I also think this episode could be called Shenanigans. Yes. We'll go to Juno in 2007, um, and then we'll go to Lady Bird in 2017. And the other thing that all these films have in common is that the protagonist is the title of the film. Yes. Which just shows you how important and singular the characters are. They are the movie. They're the movie. There is nothing... You can put them in any situation, 
and that the movie would be about them. It just happens to be that they're teens, which is our favorite thing our to favorite do. Because, thing. by the way, this is Smiling Love Us, where oh. we talk about teen movies. Twenty five minutes. So I'll start with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It is. It was just like the TLDR rundown on this. Came out in nineteen eighty six. Um, it stars a young and like so charismatic Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller. His best friend Cameron Fry is played by Alan Ruck, who um, you con heads might <laughs> might know him uh, from Succession as a presidential <laughs> candidate. Uh, Sloane Peterson is played by Mia Sarah, who I don't know what happened to her. Um, Jennifer Grey has a, a truly fantastic part as Ferris Bueller's sister, which I do want to dig into in a little bit. And then there's um, like one of my favorite movie. Ca- I think it, I think this is actually the movie that had me understand what a cameo was with uh, Charlie Sheen, mm-hmm. and um, but uh, but a true cameo. So it starts with Ferris being home. Telling his parents that he feels sick for the day. He lives in the Chicago suburbs, and we find out that he's faking the illness and he's winking to the camera. He does do a direct address to the camera, which none of the other two movies do, but I think it's so valuable in this, obviously, because um, because it takes place in one day that you get that internal kind of understanding of who Ferris is, and. Uh, he ends up conning, not conning, but convincing his best friend Cameron, who's also homesick, to play hooky with him. They get his girlfriend out of uh, school in a plot that would not be pop. Like, there's, this is a perfect example of a movie that would need such a rewrite to exist in a digital age with cell phones and yeah. things. Like, because they have, the way that they use a... Um, analog telephone yes. essentially is just so great so and um, he yeah so I'd say the first 30 minutes of the film are Ferris really setting up his debauchery setting up that he's been out of school for nine times um, setting up just his, that semester that like semester that. right um, setting up how he feels about his himself um, his best friend how he kind of views his best friend in the world he does a lot of projecting and a a, not a ton of uh self-analysis until the very end and first Bueller's Day Off is not a deep movie by any means but it definitely has some sort of like I don't know there's the moments where there's John Hughes is certainly trying to send a, a deeper message about like the banality of high school right and like these kids live in Chicago and they have access to the Art Institute of Chicago and yet they're stuck in these boring classrooms where they're just droning on and on. Yes, and like the droning on and on and on is so famous now. So, um, they, a few amazing plot points are they take uh, Cameron's dad's Ferrari for a drive in Chicago. Um, the Ferrari is parked in a garage and then they uh, frolic around Chicago. They go to a very fancy French restaurant Um they pretend to be Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago, and I was saying to Blake that very often when um, Matt and I are, we have a grill in our on our patio, which sounds completely unremarkable to people who don't live in New York City, but whenever we grill sausages, I'm always like, thank you, Abe Froman, and he's always like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and they go to a Cubs game, they go to the Art Institute of Chicago, and then there's 
I, I said, when Matt and I watched this last night, I said that I think it's one of my top, certainly one of my top 50 scenes in, in movies of all time, but maybe one of my top 10 is the um, twist and shout mm-hmm. parade right. scene. Yeah. Like, it just, it's the happiest it's scene. Yeah, it's it's so fun. And um, then they get back to the garage. They find out that the room in the car all over Chicago, which I want to make one note of something that was really stood out to me. There's a scene where they're driving the car, and they're playing the Star Wars theme song, which... The movie came out in 1986. I don't know when Star Wars came out. In the late 70s. And I just, like, look at the the licensing error that mm-hmm. was the fact... And, like, and true miracle for John Hughes that that song was able to be licensed for this movie. Like, Star Wars is now, I would say, the most valuable IP in the world. Yeah. And it's just... It's not in other things. I wonder... And so it's in this movie, and it's just truly hilarious to me. I wonder if there's... And there really isn't a fair use argument because they're not commenting no, on it at no. all. They're no, just... it's just it's just this song that conveys an epic, triumphant journey. Right. So they get back to the garage. The speedometer makes it very clear that they've been driving all over Chicago, and Cameron has a freak out, which kind of then leads to Ferris and his girlfriend Sloane Peterson also having just like kind of a a, a grounding conversation yeah. where they realize high schools. Ending. High school's ending for Ferris. They can't get married at 17, nor should they. Um, and it ends on a high note. There is a subplot in which the principal, Ed Rooney, um, which I actually forgot how hilarious his secretary, Grace, is. Yes, she's so When she's funny. pulling all the pencils out of her hair. And then when she's on the phone, when so they pull this coup of Sloan out of the... Not a coup. They pull one over... To get Sloan out of school by pretending Cameron calls on one line and pretends that he's Sloan's dad and the their her, her Sloan's grandmother has died, and then Ferris calls on the other line to prove that it's like not Ferris who's pranking, and so they start freaking out Ed Rooney and his secretary Grace, and they're trying to figure out where Sloan is by going through all these binders of student schedules, and uh. Grace gets on the phone and just starts making these like grunts. Rudy, it's just like a truly an amazing role that I. It's I, very funny. You it's know, extremely guttural and just, so funny. Yeah. So Ed Rooney uh, wants to catch Ferris in the act of skipping school, as does. Uh, Ferris's sister Jeannie, Jennifer Grey, and so they both kind of are on their person, their own personal uh, quest yeah. to to find him, which ends in the two of them having a a, a physical con- con- confrontation. And uh, Matt was just like, in, in th- terms of things that haven't aged at all, he's like, this principal would be so arrested. Like this is just like so inappropriate. I can't even handle it. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say about First Reader's Day Off. One one thing that bothered me a lot about this movie on rewatch is that, as Alice barks in the background, is that there's a dog. Like, the Buellers have a dog yes. who is only introduced as a guard dog to attack. Like, no, no Buellers comment on the dog the entire movie. Is it their dog? I thought it was the neighbor's it's dog. It's in their house. It's in their kitchen. 
And I just think that it, I maybe there's a deleted scene somewhere where Ferris is like feeding the dog in the morning or something, but like Yeah, I I always even on the rewatch I was like that It dog feels like the newest feels, dog, yeah, but it's not. Yeah. I'll just say one more point about what I think is another really special way that John Hughes tells you how magnanimous of a character Ferris is, is that word spreads about him being sick oh, yeah. through the high school so like wildfire. quickly yeah. to the point where there is there's a, a water tower that says save Ferris on it because mm-hmm. there's this campaign has begun because he's I like... I think he needs a new kidney. Yes, that he's dying, that he's... And he's so well-liked and even the secretary goes on this whole list of all the people. Of like, the... the the dropouts, the weirdos, the goonies. Like, she has, like, all of these, like, funny phrases for all of the different groups in high school. And they all they all love him. And I just think that's such a great way to show what an important character he is in this high school. Yes. Like, freshmen are obsessed with him. Oh. Like, girl, all the girls want to talk to him. Like... And he does people favors. Yeah. But you never get the... You, you don't really ever hear what those are. Like, um... Yeah, so one, before we move on to other movies, a, a personal note about Ferris Bueller's Day Off is that this was my grandmother's favorite movie. Like, if you That's asked amazing. her what her favorite movie was, and she lived to be 98 years old, and she said this was her favorite movie. And I have some theories on that. I mean, it's, like, a very fun movie. But I also think that, like, <laughs> I have a lot of aunts and uncles, and, um, you know, they all grew up in the 70s, and I think that my grandma would like to think this is what... Her, her teenagers were doing when they were skipping school and was, like, very charmed by it. But also, because it was my grandma's favorite movie, I saw it at a really young age. And so, like, all of these things, I'm like, oh, that's where I learned what that was. Like, singing telegrams. Mm. I was like, what's a singing telegram? <laughs> like, just all of these weird yeah. little things. Bathroom attendants. I've never seen a bathroom attendant before this movie. Um yeah, so I think of my grandma and Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the same breath, which is a, just not many people, I think, would feel that way. I will say my aunt, Annie, went to high school with John Hughes and knew him. And so, I think you've mentioned yeah, this. my dad, every single time we talk about teen movies, my dad brings it up, and he's like, did you know that Annie went to high school? And, of course, my dad is like, you know, it's this, this is... He was not like this in high school. Oh, I'm sure. just like, all right, all right, Dad. I get it. I get it. Um, but I always think, like, of course, no one is like this in high school. This is not a, this is a character study of just a completely wonderful person that has been in our lives through this movie. And there will never be another Ferris Bueller, except that we now have We have two modern iterations of Right. Them. And so... We'll talk about Juno in a second. I think to talk about the fact that both of these characters are women is really interesting. In the, I was trying to think, like, you know, this came out in the 80s. Uh, Juno came out in the 2000s, the late, the late aughts. And Lady Bird came out in 2017, but is based on the late aughts. Like, mm-hmm. Juno and Lady Bird are Contemporaries, contemporaries. In terms of the time, like, that the movies take place in. Right. And so what I think is really interesting is, like, what's what's the 90s movie that falls into this thing? And it's, like, we both had an embarrassment of riches with 90s people. Yeah. With 90s movies. And also, I think that a lot of 90s movies were either very melodramatic or very humorous, and none of them got into this 
psyche study. They were all ensemble dramas, or they were like these traumatic things. I would say the closest thing we have to a Ferris in the 90s is Cher Horowitz and Clueless. Mm. And I think that... Great, good one, good one. And, like, the movie Clueless could have been called Cher, and we would have all been like... That makes sense. Right. Like, because she, and she does the talking right. to the and camera. Right, it's based off of Emma, so, yes. yeah. And she does, she talks, right. there's voiceover. Yeah. yeah, it's based off that novel. Um, she does the voiceover. The, I think the only difference is that the director and writer was, like, trying to comment on this, right. like, uh, privileged teenage society in general and not just, but I just think Cher is such a charming character that everyone likes. Fewer shenanigans, like, more just material girl kind of stuff. Yeah. But, like, um, I guess not, she didn't have the, she didn't have the, like, precociousness of Lady Bird or Ferris or... Well, she's pretty precocious, but she doubts herself because she's not seen as smart. Yeah. Or, she, you know, she has, yeah. she plays into some, like, female Yeah, I guess she's tropes. Well, I would say she is the clue. Our 90s Ferris would be Cher Horowitz. That's I think my... that's a really good one. Um, this was also made into a very short-lived TV series where Jennifer Aniston played Jeannie. Right. And I, and Cameron was in it. Um, yeah, I think we'll talk more about Matthew Broderick after, but I just think, like, this movie's really fun. It's a, it's great. It's one of, it's gotta be all time. I'm, uh, am responsible for covering Juno, and if you're not familiar, Juno is a 2007 comedy, drama, drama, I don't know. It's kind of fits both bills. It's a, um, directed by Jason Reitman, and the screenplay was done by Diablo Cody, whom I don't know if, how familiar people are with Diablo Cody. This is her first. This is her first film. She went on to do Jennifer's Body and um, she was doing something else recently. But are you gonna talk about what she was doing before she was a screen? Oh yes, she was a stripper, and she I think in Portland she was at one of. I think you're right. She uh, and she had a blog, and like she was probably one of the more like. When, like, blogs were first starting and you could truly be, like, a celebrity just from blogging. Like, she was in the era of, like, Deuce. I don't know how familiar oh people God, are with Deuce. Please stop. But it was basically, like, Deuce and Diablo Cody and, like, the the girl who wrote about bands in New York City that I'm blanking on now. That's okay. And that was, like, the bloggers that I remember my friends who were into blogs were very, like, would always talk about. And I was, like what is a blog? Like, I just, like, I'd never thought about, and now, of course, blogging is basically a whole other currency. Influencing. Um, but it's, she started as one of the first, I would say, like, in my mind, like, blog celebrities. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean. I, I just knew her as, as this. Okay. Because she was quite profiled when this movie came out. Yes, and especially because she was this, like, stripper turned, you know, again. Wonderkind. Right. And then this movie, I saw in theaters, um, is, I thought it's just, like, a very charming I film. I saw in theaters, too. Um, directed by Jason Reitman, who did Up in the Air. Thank You for Smoking came before this. Young Adult, Tully, he did, like, which I think Young Adult is also Diablo did Cody. Did he do? Uh, Tully is Diablo Cody. I don't know if... 
young adult books. I think so. Maybe I not. don't like young adult. I did not enjoy young adult mother. This is not a young adult podcast. <laughs> she didn't. Oh, she did do young adult. Yeah. Okay. So Jason Raymond and Diablo Cody have worked together on many projects. I think he did not direct, but he produced Jennifer's Body. So they, they have, have a good a great, relationship. Yeah. yeah. And I think they bring out the best in each other. Like, I, I think Diablo Cody's <laughs> writing agree. is, like, a little too... It could be a little cutesy if it yeah. wasn't put in Jason Reitman's, like, very... It's just his... It's a humorous and grounded style is the way that he... Yeah. Um, but anyways, the plot. So, in this movie, uh, our eponymous teen, Juno McGuff, gets has sex one time... With her, like, bandmate slash best friend, Polly Bleeker, played by a very, very cute... Young, young. <laughs> puppy dog, Michael Sarah, And she... There is a scene where she's gonna go to, like, a Planned Parenthood and have an abortion, and she changes her mind and decides that, with the help of her best friend, she's gonna, like... She's keeping the baby, and she finds a, a couple... That is looking to adopt. The couple is well, Jason. and uh, Juno is played by Ellen Page. Oh, sorry, yes. Juno is played by Ellen Page in her breakout role. Yeah, I okay, think so. Yeah, yes, fully, yes. Yeah. And she finds this really nice couple played in the Penny Saver. In the Penny Saver, <laughs> uh, Mark and Vanessa played by Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner, and you know Juno tells her parents. Played by amazing J.K. Simmons. And Allison Janney. And her stepmom, Allison Janney, who they both are so tremendous in this. I think they make the movie. I agree. We can can get to that, but I think they make the movie. They're really special. Uh, We find out that Juno's mom left her, like, 10 years ago, maybe maybe 15 even, and, like, moved to Arizona and, like, has a new family. And it's, like, a very... She's very, you know pithy and blasé about it and it's just kind of like oh yeah she sends me a cactus every year but well, it's she clear does that voiceover. she's like yes. it's not direct address but it is voiceover and she clearly is like it's a she's a very guarded person and really uses humor as to kind of like I think mask the fact that she's you know kind of a sad like yes <laughs> a girl who was abandoned by her mother yes um but humor is definitely her best like defense mechanism and she kind of feels like she's very funny she's very funny she's very much like walks to the beat of her own drama she's like really into like horror movies and 70s punk music and just definitely feels like she doesn't belong in her like cookie cutter midwestern small town high school you know she's of another era almost and she kind of relishes that she's you know unlike anyone else and her best friend, who is played by Olivia Thurlby. Oh, Olivia Thurlby, who's so good in this. And I text Blythe when I started watching I was like, what happened to yeah. her? Because she did a bunch of movies, some of them we might visit, but like, she doesn't, she's not doing anything now, and she's so good. Yeah, she's really good. And she's, again, just adds like a lot of humor and depth to the film. And we'll have, we, we'll talk about the best best friends in a little bit. But essentially, Juno... There's an issue, like, Mark is not really the guy that he, that she thought he was. He's kind of, like, a shitty husband and not ready to be a father and basically abandons Vanessa. But Juno says, hey, Vanessa, if you're still in, I'm in. And there's this really touching scene where Juno continues with the adoption, gives her baby to Vanessa, 
Um, she's crying. Like, Polly's holding her. It's yeah. such a sweet scene. And then you see Vanessa holding the baby, and you're like, this is amazing. Like, these people all came together, and it's just a very touching end to a film. And then she's, yeah. like, gets to be a teenager again, and, and she's, she's not pregnant. And dirty peaches on her front stair moldy peaches. so, yeah. so sweet. And that's how the movie ends. I and think... I think the thing about this movie is, is it's like, she's just such a teenager in the mm-hmm. same way that Ferris is, where it's like, there's really nearsighted decision making sometimes. There's like a lot of, um, like, panic and wishing to undo things that like, she's just not going to be able to undo. And, yeah. you know, she she takes three pregnancy tests. There's a cameo with Rain Wilson in it, yeah. which is really funny. Um, or even just like, she tells... Polly to go to the prom with some other girl and he's like I don't want to do that and then she's really mean to him yeah so he does take this other girl and then Juno's like why are you taking this other girl um there's a lot of that there's a lot of Juno being unable to express her feelings for Polly and again like sort of doing the like I'm not going to put myself out there because I don't want to get hurt so she goes there's all these like talk about like precociousness and charming chaos and shenanigans Everything Juno does is sort of, like, not a cry for attention, but just, like, her way of expressing herself because she really can't. Instead of saying, Polly, I like you. I wish you would take me to the prom. She stuffs 100 Tic Tacs in his mailbox because she knows he loves orange Tic Tacs. It's, like, these very... She gets mad. ...ways that we go... The lengths we go to tell someone we like them without having to tell someone we like them. Or the way that you insult people when you're frustrated and you're a teenager. Like, she has this scene with Alice and Janney where Alice and Janney is, um, Bren, is giving her just some very, like, tread lightly, Mark. This is a weird situation, and th- this is, you are young and you don't know how the world works. And, I, and she's not, like, telling her how it works, but she's just like, you gotta be careful and you, I don't think you can do that. And the fight escalates, and she's like, Brent, you're just, like, pathetic. You just want to, like, live in a house with a bunch of dogs. Or, you don't even like dogs. We don't even, know. you love dogs so much, we don't even have a dog. And she's like, that's because you're allergic, and I've sacrificed that. And when you go to college, I'm going to get a Weimar on her. Two Weimar Two Weimar on her. And Juno's like, whoa, dream big. And then yeah. dumps her blue smoothie in, or her blue slurpee in this urn that's, like, referenced at the beginning of the movie that Juno had thrown up when she was pregnant. And it's just like... You do things to your parents when you're a teenager that are just like they're not even cruel. They're just like like a like a seventeen year old having a temper tantrum. Yes. And yes. your parents are just like, Oh my god, like yeah. I am gonna get a wine around her. Like yes. stop. Yeah. Um especially because Alice and Janie, you know, and it's probably just speaks more to my age than anything, that like obviously when I watched this movie in two thousand seven when I was in college, I so so like you know, I was in Juno's, like, her point of view mattered so much to me. And now I, like... Yeah, I was a, I was a junior in high school and Juno came out. Yeah, that's fun. That's a fun fact. Um, and... She was a junior in right. high school, so... So I was just, you know, like, Juno and I, like, listened to the same music, and we, like, watched the same movies. There were songs in this that I was, like... I literally had Shazam open the entire time, because I was, like, I know all the words to this song, and I can't remember who yeah. sings it. And then it would be, like... Belle and Sebastian. Yeah. You were just and like immediately like, oh, it was so Then back into time. So it was visceral. crazy. But now on watching, I was like, I felt so much empathy for Alice and Janet. Not empathy. Like, I don't know what it's like to be a stepmom. But like, her character spoke so much more to me because I 
like have you're a rational evolved adult. <laughs> Thank you very much, Erin. I like to think so. But also just like how hard it must be to be the Alice and Janney character. Yeah. Where you're like, I'm responsible. I'm the only adult woman in Juno's life. And I, I'm going to protect her and try to give her the best advice I can. All the while knowing like, she probably doesn't really want to hear what I have to say. Right. I mean, and they do have such a sweet, really in their own way, rapport when, one, when she's having the baby, but two, there's like the ultrasound scene where Bring really chews out yeah. the ultrasound technician who makes this uh, comment about, thank God you're giving it up for adoption. Right. Um, and then Juno looks at Bryn and is like, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you're a badass, yeah. friend. Um, it was very sweet. Yeah. And I, I will say there were a few just very, very accurate portrayals, I think, of, like, being a teenage girl. One being the fact that her parents had preferred that she had been on drugs or We're kicked expelled. out of school to being pregnant. That was, like... The, the line that I think is the thesis of the movie is when J.K. Simmons, who just is the most disapproving, can be the most disapproving looking dad in the whole world, is oh, like, yeah. I, Juno, I just didn't think you were this type of girl. Oh. And she says, I don't know what type of girl I am. Yeah. And that landed so hard post high school. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, in high school, you're like, yeah, I don't know what I am either. But like, the amount of retrospective pain that that type of a comment just like brought to the surface hearing it was just like yeah you don't know because you're 17 right um and the idea that someone else would get to decide what kind of girl you are based on choices that required two people to make by the way and that's the other thing that i realized in watching this movie that i'd never noticed before Paula gets off fully scot-free not only does he get off scot-free but the way that the so the movie's presented in chapters it starts with Summer, see, with seasons, like, very kind of Wes Anderson-esque, it's, like, summer, autumn, winter, spring, and it, every single chapter starts with, like, watching Polly's, like, cross-country team, and so you see, and, like, literally every single time, he's, like, running in his little short shorts, so, like, even his body never changes. He gets to continue being on the cross-country team through every single season, and then at, with every single season, Juno's you bigger. see her getting bigger and bigger and more uncomfortable in her body. And it's like, he, his life changes not at all. Right. Like, no, he has, he takes no responsibility. He doesn't have his to go His parents don't even know. His parents don't know. They even say, like, really mean things about her yeah. to him. You know, she's just like, you know, That's you the, know what I think so about that Juno girl. That was, a, I felt, a very Ferris Bueller scene when she shows up to Polly's house and the mom is so, she's like, she's like, Polly's mom was probably pretty once, but now she looks like a fat chihuahua, or a chihuahua, what did she say? No, she says she looks like a fat, um, hobbit. Oh, like, fat hobbit. She's like, you know, like, like one of the kids from Goonies or something. Um, but then they race up the stage, they're yes. racing each other. Because Juno knows that what, because she knocks on the door and is like, is Polly home? And his mom was like, let me go check. And Juno knows instinctively oh, you're just going to come back down here and right. tell me he's not home. Right. And he's home. And she's like, so a very pregnant Juno just races Polly's mom, mom up, up the, the stairs. stairs and beats her and closes the door behind her and is like, hey, Polly. Like, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's amazing. It's a good scene. She also has this hamburger phone yeah. that, it, that I had just forgotten about entirely. Yeah. And then, like, hamburger phones became, like, a, a thing again. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, I loved 
I loved rewatching this movie. Me too. I'm really glad we picked it. And I did think there were just so many very Ferris-esque shenanigans. I will also like, so Polly and when they first had sex, the only time yes. they had sex, it was in a, rec- a, re- uh, like a rec room yeah. at an abandoned or to-be-sold house. And she takes all of the furniture from the rec room and recreates it on the lawn, on Polly Bleeker's lawn. And I was like, yeah. And then is like smoking a A pipe, a pipe in the, in the chair, this like velvet armchair where they are like this, um, lazy boy. Yeah. Lazy boy. And is like sitting on his lawn when he gets out in his like little short shorts to go running. And she's like, hey, I did all this to tell you that I'm pregnant. Yeah. And then she gets on her bike and rides away. It's yeah. like, okay. Right. I also, it's not really the teen part of the movie, but I do just want to quickly talk about how phenomenal Jennifer Garner is in this yes. movie. She just, I mean, she just, she plays Jennifer Garner, the character that Jennifer Garner, like, Jennifer Garner plays two characters. She plays um, Sydney Bristow, and she plays moms. Yeah. And this and, is obviously a And moms. Capital One commercial. And Capital One commercial. And she's just, like, she's so neurotic, and then... Through her friendship-ish with Juno, it's not even a friendship, it's like very, you know, Juno is trying to provide these people with the things that she doesn't really care about. Like when things arise, like a sonogram, is that what they're called? Mm, yeah, I don't know. I think so. The picture, the picture, the picture of a baby. baby. Um, <laughs> they, I think it's a sonogram. When the, when, like, Juno understands like, okay. This is a big thing, and I don't really care, so I'm going to bring it to Mark and Vanessa. And then you see... I mean, and Jason Bateman is also great, at, and he just... he, No he's, one can play a boob like he can. He's just, too good in this. I was like, I know these men. These men live in Park Slope, and oh you're just God. like, fuck these guys. They've got guitars on there. And they've yeah. got... They're all wearing, like, their old Radiohead t-shirts, and they're like... We now have to talk about we or we now have the pleasure the honor and the privilege of talking about Ladybird. I'd like to say literally everyone in this movie means a lot to to me, to to me. But um, there is one actor who is our teen, our, our reigning teen prince. I would I would actually say yes. Um, and Current, like in today, in, in, in 2020, in two, yeah, in, in 2020, um, this is the first time we've talked about him. We could probably talk about him three or four times, and he's only done like 10 movies. So, spoiler alert, it is not Lucas Hedges, <laughs> no, but I do, like I said, it means a lot to me too. Um, it's Timothy Chalamet, well, Timmy Tim, he is amazing, we love him so much, and the fact. That he took the role that he did in this movie, and then the interview that we... that Have you ever heard the interview with Greta Gerwig about when he was auditioning for this role? No. I feel like we're telling... I'm telling this whole movie out of order. Would you like to start from the very beginning? Yeah, we'll start from the beginning. Okay. Lady Bird opens with Saoirse Ronan playing Lady Bird, whose real name is... Unimportant. Unimportant. She gives herself a new name. She decides to give herself it's a new name. something basic like Jennifer. Yeah, and she decides that Lady Bird will be her new name. It is her given name given to her by, by her. her. Um, and Laurie Metcalf plays her mother, and they're driving back from visiting a college, um, and they listen to a book on tape. They're both crying. They're driving. They're listening to uh, Grapes of Wrath. Yes. And um, 
notable, this movie takes place in Sacramento. The other two movies take place in the Midwest. Sacramento being in the West is a, a very important part of this movie. Um, and the director, Greta Gerwig, is from Sacramento. And um, it's not autobiographical, but it is a deeply personal movie, I would say, as she, as she has said. So it starts with them finishing Grapes of Wrath and quickly escalates into a fight that if you are female, you have had with your mother. Like, it's just one of those zero to 1,000 fights. It's not in, entirely clear how that fight escalated, and that is the brilliance of the writing, directing, and acting, that it the believable jump is there, and then Lady Bird jumps out of the car. A moving vehicle. A moving vehicle. They're like, so that's how we're in Ferris Bueller territory yes, from the from jump. the beginning. She gives herself a new name, and she jumps out of the car. The movie then charts Lady Bird's ye- senior year. Um, she lives in, uh, in Sacramento, goes to a private uh, Catholic, Catholic school. school, girls' Catholic school. Um, sh- her best friend is Julie, played by Beanie Feldstein, uh, who has a tr- maybe one of my favorite scenes. We talked about Beanie with Booksmart. Yes. And uh, her, her older brother is adopted lives at home, which is, like, a real 2008, 2000, like, recession-era yeah. situation. Like, has a computer science from degree Berkeley. from Berkeley yeah. and cannot get a job and is living at home. Yeah. And um, Tracy Letts plays her dad. And the, the family is not well-to-do. And ha- her, her parents make it very clear the sacrifices that they make for their children in the same way that a lot of parents do and you know they certainly try not to rub it in their children's face how much they work their butts off for them but at the same time when Lady Bird is a brat Mm -hmm. these conversations escalate so um, she's at school she's running for (laughs) she just has this amazing scene where she's talking to the principal who's a nun because it's a Catholic school about the fact that her posters running for student body president are a little weird because they're her face on a bird's body. And she's like, oh, it's just my thing. I run for student president as a joke every year. And the principal's like, you're not a joke. Um, like, you know, you need to really apply yourself. And so she starts talking about these schools and she's like, I don't think we're going to get into those schools. And like, they just talk about their activities and it's just, you know, if, if you applied to college, you've certainly had a frustrating conversation with, where someone tells you what you can and you can't do and you, what your hopes and dreams for yourself are are very different than maybe what your financial or academic opportunities are. She joins Drama Club in an attempt to... Um, Round out some of her extracurricular activities. She's not very good, so she gets like a, a chorus part, but then... And Julie gets a lead role, which is like... A, a real funny counterpoint to, um, we haven't published this episode. We recorded it. It's going to come out later this month where we talk about Jonah Hill in, uh, 21 Jump Street. And he's, he, he does like a, a school musical tryout on drugs in this movie. And it's really hilarious. And she does like literally the inverse of it where she's like very shy and singing like happy birthday or something. And it's just, if you've ever done any drama in high school or seen it, 
it is so on point, it made me uncomfortable. I was like, I have seen these auditions. I may have been oh, one I, of these I, auditions. I and I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Um, Blythe and I have both watched this movie multiple times for the fact that it came out three years ago. And we saw it in theaters together. together. And we were just like, wow. Like, it was like, you feel a little too... It, it, it hits close to home in ways that you were like, oh my god, I had that shirt from Aeropostale. Like, it was extremely well-reconstructed oh. uh, mid-aughts. So. Uh. so while she's in drama club, who's played by Lucas Hedges, and he comes from a, a well-to-do family but has all these siblings, and um, they fall in love, and, you know, they have all these conversations about how deep their love is, and then the school play, um, at the school play cast party, she finds Danny, like, kissing a boy in the boys' room, and, you know, then she freaks out and never speaks to him again. And then she goes through a bit of a rebellious streak where she... Not even rebellious, just trying on a new persona. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that is, like, the most fairest thing about her, is that she has these ideas of who she wants to be, and she tries, you know, she's like, I wish I could be in Mathletes, but I'm not good at math. Right. And I want to be in Mathletes so that I can go to Yale. And people are like, you're not, you're going, not going to get into Yale. And she just kind of has these, like, moments of, like, trying to reinvent herself. And one of them is... uh befriending this girl Jenna who's like very much the popular girl Jenna the execution and of Jenna as a popular girl is I think one of the best designed characters of teenagers that I've ever seen mm -hmm. it is stunning yeah. down to the Tiffany bracelet and the fact that they have this scene in the pool where she's like I don't understand what's so wrong but just wanting to like go to Sac State and like become a real estate agent and then get married and leave my job and raise my kids. Yeah, she's like, I just want to be a mom. That's, like, that's what I want to do. Be. And it's like, yeah, you do go to high school with people who that is their yeah. goal and that's totally fine and Lady Bird's goal is to go to college in the East where people are interesting and have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Verbatim. I'm to go to Sarah Lawrence and it's like, you're lucky if you get into community college. Yeah. So she, through Jenna, she meets Kyle Schiebel. Oh my god. Who we've caught a few glimpses of prior to the intro, but the camera never really lingers on him more than it just naturally will because of his perfect face. Uh, Kyle Schiebel is played by Tony Chalamet, obviously. I don't think that I have laughed so hard at... A single frame in film, the way that I did, when we see Kyle at a party, sitting by the pool with all of his clothes on, reading The People's History by Howard Zinn. I thought I was going to pee my pants. Because um, I have been at parties. I have wanted to talk to that guy. With that person, who is a extreme asshole, but also, like, perversely interesting, and you're like, I... Want to make out I want to make out with him, or yeah. I want to punch him, or I want to do both, or I want to be him, or potentially I was the person wearing all my clothes, reading a book at a party. Like, so then she's dating Kyle, kind of. Well, you know, because it's like right it's like high school, and, and there's like so cliche to be in a relationship. There are just some scenes, and like um, he talks about like how the government is like 
governments have to spy on people, but we are doing it for them with, like, our cell phones, like, and we're paying them to do it, basically. Again, That's like, a brilliant, again, really, he's in a band that, like, doesn't even play, like, they just kind of, like, the band just sucks, like, yes. it's, it, he, it's so good, and. Everyone knows this guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to high school with, like, ten, well, I don't know, ten of, none of them were in my grade, they were older, but, um, the thing, when, and he's, like, meant to be a hunk, and she's meant to have, like, this is a big get for her, and they're very, like, uh chemically attracted to one another I would say and there's that amazing scene where they're making out and they go upstairs at Jenna's parents house and there's this like rumor that Jenna's parent Jenna has a tanning bed in her room and she does and then they're like making out on top of it later it's like oh my god the bed is real um like, I can't wait to tell my best friend Julie, Julie that the tanning yeah. bed is real because Julie again very like accurate portrayal of high school Julie feels like Lady Bird Lady has in her. Yeah, and, and she did. Like, you are hanging out with the cool girls now. You don't have time for your, like, geeky theater friends. They have a big fight because Lady Bird uh, was given a role in the production of The Tempest, but she didn't even show up for rehearsals. And um, Julie says, you were given the titular role in The Tempest. Yeah. And uh, Lady Bird says, there is no Tempest. It's it a is- fake role, which it is. It's just, like, the most amazing fight, and, um, so Kyle is just this hunk, hunky dreamboat, and when Greta Gerwig was talking about Timothy, so Timothy Chalamet, this movie came out the same year that Call Me By Your Name came out, which I think is, I mean, Timothy Chalamet was, like, nominated for Golden Globe for that, like, he, that was, like, a a real debut into being a, a literal movie star at the age of, like, 20, 22. And, um, Greta Gerwig talks about, like, you know, a lot of it is timing when you get all these young actors. Um, Saoirse Ronan has, I mean, she's been nominated for five Oscars, including for this she was nominated. And she's all deserved. so talented and she's, she's 27. Um, Lucas Hedges is extremely talented and has been in many critically acclaimed movies that have all come out within a short period of time. So... She was talking about how she was, like, locking different parts in, and she was auditioning Timothy Chalamet for a role for something else, maybe, or, like, they were having conversations. She was like, I really want you for this role of Kyle. And he was like, no, that, that, that's not, I can't do that part. Like, that part's, like, first, like, the quarterback of the football team. And she was like, no. No. no." (laughs) Like, she had to explain to him, like, this whole type of guy, yeah. like, and, like, how, like, she had to give him the psychology of why this man is attractive, um, and I just love, like, imagining that conversation. This was Greta Gerwig's first, uh, screenplay and directorial movie. I know we're jumping around a lot, but it was, like, another, uh, quite the announcement of her, voice similar to like Diablo Cody it's like a very specific voice I don't necessarily think that it's singular because I think that there are a lot of female filmmakers who are trying to articulate what Greta Gerwig is doing but I think that Greta Gerwig is so skillful in the way that she does it that like she's just very much in a league of her own yes in what she's able to capture 
So the movie continues, and um, you know the thing, things with Kyle fall apart after she thinks that she's lost her virginity to him, and he's like, "Oh no, I've had sex like a bunch of times," and she's like, "What?" Um, and then she and Julie come back together and become friends again. She even makes up with um, Danny. There's the there's this amazing scene where Lady Bird is going to prom with. Kyle and they're going in the car with Jenna and her boyfriend and then you know Jenna her boyfriend and Kyle are all like well prom's lame like let's just like back off and like go to a party and Lady Bird's like Lady Bird's I'm going to prom she's like I really want to go to prom and they drop her off at her friend Julie her best friend Julie's house and yeah. Julie and her go to prom together and have a great time and it is one of the most touching scenes in it just talks about it, it's just beautiful I talked about this before many times that I had very close female friends in high school, as did you. I believe it was called like the the circle, the okay. the and family. Now, and you know when when you hung out with Anna the other day, you didn't bring this up once, and now I just get roasted on the <laughs> podcast about it. I'm sorry, what you called the family? Like no, like, like your mafia. mom bosses. Oh my God. <laughs> what were you called? So, the fam. The fam. <laughs> Anywho, but I mean, those are the enduring. Like when you're figuring out who you are in high school, to have some to have a friendship bear witness to that is like that is the bond. Yes. Um, and it's just really beautifully captured, like the romance of that. Yes. Um, and then Lady Bird finds out that she got into NYU, and her dad kind of helped her behind her mom's back, um, with you know filing financial aid forms and things like that, and then. Her mom really freaks out and, you know, just feels like her going to NYU is this total rejection of, you know, their whole lives to that point. And it is. And I think that's the thing that's really painful about growing apart from your mother before you go to college is, like, you you, you kind of have to reject everything. Like, even if you're going down the road, like, you, you in order to become an adult who's by themselves, like, you have to put some sort of distance there and obviously with hormones is like usually really poorly executed um but there's this beautiful scene where they're listening to who's John Denver mm-hmm. and just talking about driving around Sacramento and it's just a great mother-daughter instance but then we do see Lady Bird in <laughs> New York which I think is just um such an interesting like Greta Gerwig now lives in New York and is very much a New York filmmaker and um has been in a a lot of movies about New York and so to then have Lady Bird come to New York and to see how New York goes and obviously um not obviously but I I mean I didn't go to NYU I went to college in New York and you do get here and you're like wow everyone isn't that cool and everyone does have all these opinions that like feel a little bloated Mm -hmm. and so Lady Bird throughout the movie has had this um like Dave Matthews Crash has been played at a few different times and she's like I just love this song and she gets to college and some guy's going through her CD 
case, which really threw me because I remember that mm-hmm. act in Having and of itself. Big, like CD album, like. and it like it reflected on you. Like oh, people sure. would look at that. Oh, and you would like put certain CDs at the forefront, oh, so yeah. you would like and you know put your blame ones in the back, so no one would judge you for them. And Greta Gerwig said that this was this was autobiographical <laughs> because she like has this incident with this guy in the storm room and she's like I love this song and he's like this song sucks and she's like no it doesn't and even if you think so like I don't and then she throws up because she's drinking like yeah. raspberry schnapps she's like drinking for the first time and I mean it's yeah. just the movie oh, no, she, she gets like alcohol poisoning she has to go to the hospital yeah Okay, now is a good time to disclose. Blythe and I did not rewatch this movie for this podcast because we both watched it recently, but now we're both forgetting the ending. But we've gotten to this point without no, any we did a good steps. job. I mean, that's the end. Is that she's she? Um, I think she she's did, just she, in New York. And she, no, and that's when she calls she her, mom her mom and leaves that message about driving around in Sacramento and like how beautiful, right? And how she you know she never really appreciated it until she left. And yeah, yeah it's such a good film. It's such a good film. I rewatched it on an airplane recently and I was just like weeping on the airplane like the entire time it's just so good and I you watched it recently with your husband yes and my husband who I in rewatching Ferris Bueller was like oh my god I married Ferris Bueller and I didn't really didn't mean to (laughs) but Billy is has so much Ferris in him and it's you married the combination you married the middle ground between Ferris Bueller and the old man from up (laughs) you did I might edit that out, but like no, you did. Please, please keep it. It's so true. Oh my god, it's so true. You did. There are just like so many like little moments where I'm like, oh my god, Billy would one hundred percent, especially when Billy's faking sick and his parents are like, <laughs> and he's like, I love you. <laughs> like I could one hundred percent. I mean, Billy's done that to me before when I'm like, oh, are you sick? And what is he like, I think I have a fever. I have a chill. No, I'm fine. I have a test today. <laughs> Not to get into the meltdown that he had about Elio's pizza the other day, but he, when he was like, I got home and I was cold and I needed a whiskey. And he said this to me three days later in passing. And I was like, okay. Um, Oh, you you watched The Lady Bird with Billy. Yes. And he had never seen it before. I was probably on my, like, third. To be quite frank, I think this movie is one of the best movies ever. I just, I am so obsessed with Greta Gerwig as a filmmaker. I also yeah. think her movie Little Women is one of the best movies <laughs> ever. Obviously. Also featuring Timmy Chalamet and, and Sarah Sharonin as... And Tracy Letts. Yes, as a... As a romantic, as a, a not meant to be pairing. Yes, not Tracy Letts and Sarah Sharonin, but no. Sarah Sharonin and Timothy Chalamet. So I was just thrilled to be watching this movie again because I think it's a perfect movie. I would yeah. encourage everyone to watch it. It's such a good, it's a... Great teen movie, but it's also just a great movie. Matt's Matt's mom has seen it, because my mom had passed before this movie came out, and I would have loved to have known my mom's take on it, Um, but Matt's mom, who had had a teenage son and two teenage daughters around the time of this movie, was just like, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great movie. Um, I will say, we can now get into our superlatives and such, uh I believe. Um... But I would, I'd like to point out one thing that I thought was really cool about these movies is that there was no, except say for the end of Lady Bird, alcohol is not really a big part or drugs 
or be yeah. part of any of these movies. And I think that that's, you know, because a lot of the teen movies we've covered, like, Days and Confused, Clueless, like, um, even, like, American Graffiti, like, there is just definitely, when you think of, like, teens partying, like, how can you, right. can't hardly wait, right. like, drugs, alcohol, it's, that is how you show, like, teens are rebellious and fun, and I just think it's really cool and speaks to the writing and the and the acting in these films that all of these people were like so cool and so interesting and had such an amazing dynamic point of view and such rich inner lives that alcohol is like and drugs just like wasn't even a thing like they were just so like they were their own drug and I just thought that that was a really fun thing because I mean I like watching movies about like kids partying too but I just thought that was a really cool way to show that these they're high on life but I mean really they they're they're debauchery is of their own per, persona trying to figure out who it is in the world yeah um and I think that they all take really big swings at yes. who they are yes and that's the fun of that's that's the fun of the movie but that's also like um not always the fun of real life right I, lo- I just, I love all of these movies, and I think, I didn't, I don't necessarily, like, Lady Bird was, is a very dramatic person, and I was very dramatic in high school, but I didn't, I don't necessarily see myself in Lady Bird so much as I see myself in Lady Bird's world, mm-hmm. and, like, her decisions, and, or the decisions she's presented with, and, like, the conflicts she's presented with. Yeah. I just, I'd never seen... And this is, I mean, this is what people say that they love about female screenwriters with Diablo Cody and Greta Gerwig is, like, you don't get that inner world of a female protagonist yeah. in, in that way. Um, and to, to, to have females that I, because I don't relate to Cher Horowitz, right. you know what I mean? Right. Yes. Um, but to relate to the other two is just, it's really nice. And I, I after I saw Lady Bird um, with you, I remember being like, oh my god, like, I hope I have a teenage daughter to watch this movie with someday. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a really good teenage movie. Yeah. And I definitely, I don't know what your relationship to, like, Ferris Bueller was in high school, but I was, like, very into John Hughes movies in high school. And you also I grew was, up in the Midwest, which I yeah, think is it's a little different. definitely part of it. But I also was, like, the like shenanigans thing mm-hmm. like, was such a huge part of my identity. Like I was upset. I was so obsessed with like going to school in costumes and like being like just such a weirdo. And I just like really, really wanted you what know. What kind of costumes did you wear? Um, I would every time there was so Lord of the Rings obviously was came out when I was in high school. That's so weird. We were talking about Lord of the Rings last night. Oh, well... I don't know um, how Ferris Bueller and Lord of the Rings beget one another, but this is the second time in 24 hours that that's <laughs> been the case. They talk about hobbits, because... Oh, no, no, no that's June now. Shit, I don't know. But I would, um... I went to the midnight um, opening nights of all of the Lord of the Rings, but, like, that wasn't enough. I had to come in school dressed as a Lord of the Rings character. You just wanted everyone to know, like, oh, like this the, is the my interest. Lord of the Rings was, like, a big part of my identity. Yeah, so I would come to school dressed up for Lord of the Rings and thought that that was, like, normal. you know, no, not normal, but just, like, this is important to me. 
Like, this is important that I, as a 16-year-old, make this decision to come dressed up as... Well, but when you're 16, those are the decisions that are available right. to you. Yes, you, exactly. you don't get opportunities to uh, sculpt your life yes. the way that you like until you're, like, 25 years old. And I just had a very specific perspective on, like, I wanted to be, like, fair. I'm, like, high school's dumb. Like, I'm not interested in, like, conforming... I want to be, a, I want to do something, like, some big gesture to show my teachers, like, you may be you able to keep me, me in this classroom, oh but, God. like, I am going to be, like, my own person, and, man, did it drive my teachers insane. I had several conversations with one teacher in particular about how I would dress, and I would, like, write her, like, the letters and put them in her mailbox, basically, every time we had a, she had a conversation about how I would dress in school, and I would be, like... I've read the student handbook. There's nothing in the student handbook about like how I'm dressing and there's nothing that I'm doing that's distracting anyone else. And just like it, I was that student and I'm, and I apologize for it, <laughs> but it was like really important to me to like, not, wow. yes, I know fun. I was like a really fun person. Um, but this is why I was like class clown. Cause people were just like, Oh, she's crazy. She dresses in costumes. You are, you're, you are presently crazy. Yes. And I remember I was in, like, this, like, guerrilla theater group where we would, like, put on skits. Okay, this is enough. <laughs> we just can't record ten minutes of you telling me every weird... Save some for the next pod. I'm just saying... Save I, some for our I get podcast. shenanigans. That's all I'm going to say. I was not a shenanigans person. But, so, do you feel that there is a best shenanigans recipient? I mean, so, best... Obviously, Ferris Bueller. Like, yeah. but... His are so movie magic. Yes. I feel like, you know what I mean? Obviously, like, the things that he pulls off, even the fact that he pulls them off in high school in a day is incredible. So, he gets the best shenanigans by far. I think... I would agree. I think Juno has the most realistic, like, shenanigans for a teen to pull off. Yeah. I think the subversive signs that Lady Bird gives and the fact that she just insists on being called something else. And I should... You know what? I think that maybe Juno's are the most realistic, but I think that Ladybirds are the most determined. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. her name is p- printed as, I wish I, I cannot remember her name, and it's not available on IMDb. That's great. Um, But she, like, crosses out what her given name is and writes Ladybird yeah. over it, like, at every opportunity. Um, Who do you think has the best personal style? Oh, that's really hard. Um... I guess I want to say Ferris again, and I, I just I love his look. I just think he has. I didn't say best look. Oh, sorry. I said best, best personal style. I still say. I mean, Ferris. you can stand by that. I don't know. Yeah, I still say Ferris. I completely from his room to how he dresses to his like little mannerisms. I like totally understand who he is. Like he is such a mm-hmm. distinct personality. I get it. I think the best personal style is Juno. Yeah. She also has such a clear point of view. I had a very good friend in high school who I have not mentioned on this podcast who, um, we, and we are no longer in touch, although, I, I mean, I wish her the best, but, um, she had a very Juno vibe mm-hmm. and she was just an extremely cool person and she's still an extremely cool and, and she's an extremely accomplished person now and, um. But, like, just didn't belong in here. Like, she was just, like, a fully formed 40-year-old. And I, like, being presented with a 16-year-old's decisions. And so she 
she was like, she was the person, I probably saw Juno with her, to be totally honest. And, um, yeah, Juno reminds me a lot of her in the quirkiness. Yeah. And also just in the, like, I like this ugly shirt. There was some really, really good um, 2000s fashion in Juno. And also, like, little things Especially like, with Olivia Thirlby as the, like, yes. um, like more feminine. Mm-hmm. The, like, belts that didn't, neither went around the hips nor the waist. So, and, and the were skirts so wide. Came, it's all, I really think that, that the, that the late 2000s fashion is solely to blame on, like, uh, MTV and the CW or mm. Fox or whatever. Yes. Like, the OC. Yes. Summer Roberts, like, ruined people's yes. wardrobes. Yes. Um, it, it was also, like, this works for one body type. Right. And it, it, d- is... and it still looks stupid on that body type. Oh, it looks My horrendous. sister had that body type, yeah. and she'll look at photos, and she'll be like, oh, my God. It, <laughs> like... it, I mean, it, it is, it, all it does is, like, cut you off in the weirdest places. But you need to have, like, no hips, like, an extremely thin frame. You basically, and then you wear, like, skirts that cut you off. Skirts are bad. Skirts are really unless it's like a. There are certain skirts that adult women can wear. Our my at the, my company, our head of um, like our head of communications is this like very elegant like British woman, and she just like is always wearing a like skirt with these like amazing riding boots. And she like looks impeccable, but she's also probably wearing like a three hundred dollars skirt. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like if you're gonna wear like fabric is everything with skirts. Like fabric and. Cut and you heard it here first. Blythe says, just saying, like, everything. It, uh, no, you're right, and you're right, and what you get a wet seal isn't gonna cut it. No, and there was you either had like the micro mini options, which I was like horrific, and in this movie, horrific. They are so bad. it's like it's the same thing as when we rewatch Mean Girls, where we're like, yes. what are they wearing? Like the micro minis with like a tank top that is too ooh, long, ooh, ooh. and then a belt seemingly that is holding up nothing is just an accessory like a very wide white belt that it's bad it's so bad it's so bad also like the fact that jennifer garner's character wears clinique happy i just like little things where you're like oh my god i know these people so well um who do you think would have made the best prom date out of all the characters not just the leads um obviously not kyle no, Kyle was a terrible prom date. I think I probably would have had the most fun at prom with Lady Bird or Juno. I think I would love to go to prom with Sloan Peterson. Ooh, yeah. Sloan Peterson is just like a cool girl. Yeah. And she's not, although we don't really, we see her interact with other women like very limitedly, but like she's just fun. She's laid back. She's clued into reality. She's not like Sloan Peterson. You think that Ferris would make a great prom date, but then you realize that he would, he would the leave entire, you the yeah. entire time talking to other Social people. Butterfly. And yeah, he would just like, you would feel immediately abandoned. Some Peterson would just dance her little heart out with yes, me. Yes, that's her true. Her fringe jacket. Oh, she's I also think for personal style, Jeannie has really good style, even though she's only in one outfit too. Yeah. Like, like, she's one of those characters that's so thought out that like, she has, like, all of these badges on her backpack, and her name is on everything. You just get a real sense of yeah. who she is based on that. That's For so. sure. Um, who do you think is the best, best friend? It's really hard. I, oh, they all are so, like, the things that Cameron puts up with are incredible. It's, that's the type of love that you only have with people that, as Cameron says, you've known since the fifth grade. Like, you do not put up with that shit for someone that you met over the age of 18. I you think, just do not. I think he might. I don't know. I mean, I, he's the best friend in that he, like, 
he has to just deal with so much with being Ferris's Bueller's best friend. But I think like I think what Lady Bird has with Julie. with Julie is probably the most special friendship. Like Lady Bird and Julie, Cameron and Ferris are not still friends in the real world, I don't think. Like Really? I think they send each other Christmas cards. Maybe they like, you know, one some one of them has left town and when the other one comes back is like, oh yeah, I heard your parents. I mean, Tom visiting my parents. Like, let's get grab a beer. But I think that they drifted apart. I mean, I think Cameron went on to become a normal person, and I think Ferris probably had a tough time being that way mm. outside yeah. of high school. Yeah. Without dimming himself a little mm-hmm. bit, I think Lady Bird and Julie like probably text each other every day. Yeah. Still. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um. This is the most important superlative I think we can give out and I think that it's really only carries this is a very hard one to answer I don't think I think it's a little more straightforward for every other film every other podcast that we've ever done it's who has the best career after this the, their respective movie I I actually we brought that we decided on these categories yesterday and I just I think it's almost impossible to decide that yeah like, Matthew Broderick has a Tony and, you know, has been in, I think he has a Tony, he's got a Golden Globe, like, he's a prolific comedic stage actor, um, and, like, just, like, extremely successful, yeah. serious actor. Like, people really respect him, and, um... Ellen Page has been amazing. Ellen Page has, like, been in blockbusters and indie films. She's an activist. She, like her, her name is. She's a fully formed celebrity. Um, Diablo Cody, a fully formed celebrity. Jason Reitman has been nominated for a million Academy Awards. Yeah. I mean, recency Michael bias Sarah makes me want to go with like Saoirse Ronan or Greta Gerwig. I think but... if we're talking about speed of ascent, it's hard to not say Greta, Greta Gerwig. Gerwig. Yeah, that's how I feel. Um, because Greta Gerwig went from being a mumblecore actress to, like, what people are, like, very important people are saying, like, is the most important, uh, uh, like, emerging director. Yeah. And, and she's made two films and they've both been nominated for Best Original Screenplay and both been given a lead actress nomination to Sir Sharonin. And you also just, like, you, John Hughes is, like, kind of done, right? I mean, he's, he's had, done. he's... Right, I mean, yeah. but like, but by nineteen eighty six, like he was in the bulk of his. Yeah, I think this was like towards the tail end of things, and, um, like his body of works, his body of work is. Uh, I mean, it says it's, one thing. It's, it's iconic. It's it's definitely holds its own in one area. Whereas I think Greta Gerwig is going to blow. I think I could see Greta Gerwig directing a Bond film. I could see her directing like a. Star Wars, like, fantasy film. I could see her doing, you know, like... She she has a significant... She just got the right... Well, she got Scott Rudin in her corner. And that was the end of that. So. I just feel like she... When we look back at her filmography, I think... I'm just so excited to see what she does next. Yeah. And I think... Diablo Cody... I think... Diablo Cody writes movies that are wonderful, but they're almost 
they're like very hard examinations of woman womanhood. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, and, and as are Greta Gerwig's films, and I'm not trying to pair them against each other, but I think that Diablo Cody's body of work is always going to lean a little more art house and smaller audiences and tougher to swallow. Yeah. Um, Tully was so, did you see Tully? I did not see Tully. Should I? It's phenomenal, and it is so sad like I cried mm. a lot and it's not sad and like like nothing bad happens yeah it's just like oh my god this is t- tough um I don't but the Diablo Cody's latest project is doing the Alanis Morissette oh Broadway really? musical Jagged Little Pill she like wrote, I'm aware of oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry um so she's you know she's pivoting into something different which I think is a very smart and and interesting use of her talents like I can yeah. like that makes one so much sense to me yeah um we are thrilled to, I just said that with a trembling voice we are thrilled to be back um but we're back and we've got 10 podcasts lined up do we want to talk most true to life and least oh yeah life yeah moments? yeah sorry it's we're just almost kind of short what do you what did you find to be the most true to life moment the entire movie, Lady Bird. <laughs> um, also, just like that Dave Matthews Band album, Crash, mm-hmm. with the song Crash, and how many times I listened to that and like Did loved that song, and knew, and I can see that music video in my head so clearly, mm-hmm. and think that that was a beautiful song. I just there was just so much of like. I was not in plays in the high school. I was the like stage manager which is the um like worst position to be in because you still have to go to all the rehearsals but you don't get to be like in any kind of spotlight you were just like and my theater director like you know she was she ran the show she was this like 50 year old teacher okay seems like you got a lot of issues with this lady no no no. i think she she was just like very you know glee was like her fantasy right like that everyone would be obsessed with theater and there would all be all these like super talented multi-racial kids that would be like at her beck and call and she kind of created that for herself like our theater program for the people that were in it was like the coolest thing you could do and she was like I would like for you to be our stage manager and I was like I'm gonna do it because I want to be like with the people with the theater people but I'm not gonna be happy about it I'm also and it was just, I also like the spotlight. Yeah, I was like... I dress up like I, one of the race Yeah, I was like, do you not see the desperate attempts for attention that I lobby here every day? Me, here being, meaning my high school. Um, but I I, uh, I will say that being stage manager gave me a... Watching all this Lady Bird stuff, I'm like, I'm happy that I did what I did, and there isn't film of me doing what they are doing. <laughs> because that would be horrifying to me. Um, I thought that one of my most true to teen life moments was there's this exchange that Juno and Polly have that's, like, about eating after school and, like, donut holes and, like, it's just, like, you forget how much, like, you eat, you don't eat, you eat multiple meals a day as a teenager. You don't think about it at all. They're mostly crap. Yeah. And, like, plans come together 
so instantly when you are About 18. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, pancake sounds great. Yeah. Meanwhile, it takes like two weeks for me to like literally plan to get a bagel with someone who lives 10 minutes from me. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that, I was just like listening to that dialogue. I was like, oh yeah, being a teenager. Yeah. I mean, I, I had such a like vivid memories of, I knew like a group of my friends, they would all go to this like same pancake house every Friday. And it was like, just like religion. Like they would always do it. And it was just like such a cute, tradition cool. they had I don't think I I know I didn't go with them very often but when, when I did I was like this is what it's like to have friends oh my god this you have friends so great but you know what I mean like that's such a beautiful ritual in high school to have with your friends oh yeah like my friends and I my the fam uh we we were big breakfast sandwich people and great. we had like very specific we all liked pretty much the same thing but it was egg sandwiches and English muffins were so good from this one place that like Amazing. and they were like three dollars and just like the ratios of an egg sandwich on an English muffin is like really perfect and then you've got like the crunch of the English muffin mm. anyways then we would like try to go other places and see how their English muffins were this is so cute this is such a nice I mean my husband has like the wacky the wacky oh Yorktown's famous wacky and he has amazing stories about always sneaking off to, like, from school to go get wackies, and the one time he was with, like, Jeff Kwan or something, and, like, Jeff Kwan's mom saw them, like, in the car, and, like, getting, going off campus to get these forbidden wackies, which is just it, a, breakfast a breakfast sandwich, sandwich. Which, with potatoes. Oh. Like a hash brown. Like There's something that they won't put on it. What is it? You have to, if you want cheese, you have to say, I want a wacky with cheese. Right, right. Okay. Because it doesn't come with cheese, which everyone says, what is a breakfast sandwich if not an egg meat cheese roll situation do you order it with cheese when you go 100 percent. Oh, okay wacky with cheese spk salt pepper ketchup or what spk is not everyone knows breakfast sandwiches are a fully east coast thing they don't we don't have them in the midwest yeah I mean, we do now tacos are a thing or breakfast burritos or we what did you have in the midwest Full pancake breakfast okay. with scrambled eggs and bacon and strawberries and uh, yeah, breakfast fresh sandwiches are a very northeast thing. Yes, cool. Thank you. Welcome to breakfast talk. People are gonna be like, "Why did tell us you seriously?" Um, I'm so sorry. Uh, thanks for listening. Oh, least treated life, Ferris Bueller, oh, yeah. all of Ferris Bueller. That's it. Not all of Ferris Bueller. The, I think the least treated teen life moment of Ferris Bueller is the. Right. No, I actually don't think that that's not true to life. Okay. Like, because when you're in high school and you've already just poo pooed consequence mm. to to be like, and if you have that personality to be like, can I get on your float? Like mm-hmm. you do that. You that I actually think that you're that true. that gumption. You're right. You're right. In a city that you'll never see those people again. I have a you're friend, so right. a, a very dear friend from high school, who would just do things in high. She. Still does as an adult so much, but like just a no fear ask. Like, yeah. what's the worst they can say? Yeah. Is no. What's the best they can say? You're on a parade float. You're you know so right. right. You're so right. Um, but that the prince, Mr. Rooney, yes. is just yeah too too absurd of yeah. a character. Yeah, an adversary that wasn't totally necessary. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you, Aaron. Do you want to do your best, Cameron, doing Sloan Peterson's dad voice? No. Do you? Are you sure? Yeah. Give it a shot. Have I already done it for you? No, I'm oh, just curious. No, I don't. What? I don't. A little bit. Do you want to do it? I'm not going to do it. Don't you want to do it? No. All right. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>